We dive into the headless Halloween of 1940, talk all sorts of beans, and get into some spooky games. All this and more on Homegrown Horror. I'm feeling it. Let's do it. Moose crossings, red hot dogs, missing persons in salty bogs, up to camp with Stephen King, river curses, Wesley sings, Homegrown Horror! Oh dear God. Oh dear God. Oh Lord. Oh thank God. If anybody can hear this. Oh, I've been stuck in M. Night Shyamalan's village for, for a month. They eat nothing but beans. Every damn Sabbath. It's been beans. Beans this, beans this, kidney beans, dark red beans, garbanzo beans, fava beans, great northern beans, cannelli beans, fayette beans, red beans, lima beans, mung beans. There's so many beans. I haven't had a consistent bowel movement in seven days. If anybody can hear me, please get me out of here. Send help. Call for B. Hey, welcome. Hi. Welcome to another episode of... Homegrown Horror! Good harmonization this week. My name is Jackson, I'm a co-host. I am B. I am a co-host. <laughs> <laughs> and together we form a whole host. <laughs> a whole host! <laughs> uh, well, yeah, welcome. We, I realize we don't really like uh, describe the show, kind of at the start. Oh, start. Well, I'm a Mainer. And I'm a dude from away. And so we're going to tell you about some spooktacular stuff today. Specific to Maine. <laughs> Specific to Maine. And every week. I don't know. We never do like an <laughs> no, intro. No, we don't. We did, we did one at the beginning and then never done You're right. Kinda. I don't know. Is that something? I don't know. If you like it, we'll, we can keep doing that. Might or, be uh... important for people who are like <laughs> new. And I hope we keep getting new people. <laughs> Brandy new people. Brand new people. Brandy new. Well, uh, B, it's been an exciting week. We're recording this on a Tuesday. We are recording this on a Tuesday. <laughs> this is just because we had a lot going on this past weekend. Yeah, we went to happened. a cute little uh, family maple weekend thing on Saturday. Should we say the name? Or... Yeah, it was done family maple in Buxton. It was a lot of fun. It was a ton got of fun. Got some really fucking delicious donuts. I got a whole... Oh my god, the donuts were so fucking good. The donuts were so fucking delicious. Yeah, so we had... I got the maple like drizzle bacon donuts and i ate them like within 10 minutes i remember you're just like oh they're gone oh shit oh no oh no and of course then we were able to get more more maple stuff if you listen to our last episode we went to the freiburg fair and we got or and and the cumberland fair and we got like cotton candy and candy and cream and we, we got more stuff. We got more maple stuff. Doing our restock. Yeah. I'm excited. We haven't, I haven't even like dove into the um, family farm maple syrup yet. Oh my god. I'm so excited about that. Though. I know. I think that we're planning... We should plan on doing like pancakes this weekend. Absolutely. Pancakes this weekend. Sunday pancakes. Sunday pancakes. Yeah, because I am in Boston this weekend because... I'm I'm going to see a concert. Going to see a concert. Not going to say the concert. Oh yeah, I'm going to see Porter Robinson. I'm yeah, I'm a, a, a big weeb, and he has he is uh, it's like an electric, electronica, dance music mixed with weebness. <laughs> that sounds awesome. So is it kind of ravey, like party music? A almost? little bit, yeah. Is it if you're based on what you described, it's sort of like. Early Daft Punk, right? Actually, yes. A little <laughs> bit. Actually, yes. I was thinking of like yes, yes, actually, one more yes. time music video. Uh-huh. That was big. Oh man, I remember they that I remember when that premiered on Nickelodeon. In oh my the god, early 2000s. it did premiere. On <laughs> it did. That's so wild because it was such a dark. Uh, it was such a dark music video. It's so good that, like, yeah. it's good. Cause especially since, like, me, I love Mecca stuff. Anyway, I'm a nerd. I don't know if I said that yet on this podcast. I'm a big old nerd. Big old nerd. So, yeah. And then also, I finished reading Pet Cemetery. Reading, strong word. You listen to it. <laughs> okay, rude. It's <laughs> very rude. That was rude. That was very rude. I did end up doing it, and it was excellent. Yeah. I It was my very first time reading a Stephen King book, because a lot of times, I just, I haven't ever really read horror. I'm more of a visual horror person. Yeah. So, it was the first time I read horror, and the first time I read Stephen King, and I... 
I think I'm going to read. I would love to read some more. Yeah. Uh, even apart from this podcast, I would love to read some more. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, what, what was, like, really gripping? I'm only about um, 60 pages in on my physical book. Yep. Um, <laughs> but uh, what, what really drew you about this one? And we're not, we're going to not, like, we're going to save a lot of this for, for of oh, course, our bonus episode. Yeah, most of this is going to be for the bonus episode. But. Yeah. But anyway, you would read some more then? I absolutely would. I actually read... And the thing about Pet Cemetery is I wasn't sure what to expect, but it was a pretty pretty slow burn, and I actually really liked that. The The dread was really nice. I love that. Love a nice, like, drawn out... Like, and there's so much lore to the Kingiverse. The King of understand it. Yes. <laughs> they should... He should make, like, a Marvel franchise. I, I mean, he basically is a Marvel he franchise. Does no, he I doubt <laughs> he And he, he also appears to. in every single movie. He does appear in every single movie, which is amazing. Uh, does he, even like the, uh, well, he does not appear in Pet Cemetery 2. No. No, uh, he's not. I, I would say that that's completely separate. And we will, yeah. I want to cover Pet Cemetery 2 apart from the Pet Cemeteries because yes, once because I looked into it a little bit, I'm like, okay, this looks stupid and I want to do it. Pet Cemetery 2 is like a B-horror movie. Absolutely, yeah. and as we know from Lake Placid, I love that shit. Uh, we love garbage here on Homegrown Horror. <laughs> yeah, my taste in things is generally garbage, but I don't care because it makes me happy. <laughs> let's let's dive into things here. Absolutely. Um, so I've got a little story coming up here, and uh, it's pretty popular, and I think it's gained some traction online. I had a hard time actually finding too many details here. Okay. Just a basic newspaper clipping and then some additional details from books and little snippets here and there online. So I've got some extra stuff planned for today. But if, for those listening in, we got a game happening later. Ooh. I'm actually, that's like what one of the things that I'm most looking forward to is I love games. <laughs> I told uh, B about the game. She's been very excited. I know about nothing it. about the game, but I know there is a game. There is a game. It's going to be a lot of fun. But today's story takes place in Rockland. Yeah. And we're uh, we're in Knox County, I believe. That's where Rockland's at. We're not uh, in Aroostook. We're not in Aroostook. I tried so hard to find something that wasn't in Aroostook. Which is funny because Pet Cemetery is also near. No, it's not in Aroostook, but they mention it. It's a. It's near Banga. Ban- oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm firing you right now. Sorry. You can't fire me. My name's on the shit. <laughs> I just, I'm sure the recording just picked up the fact that I just slapped my knee while laughing. I'm so old. That's all right. I'm an elderly, I'm an elderly man. I I love it. No, I think it's a compliment for knee slappers here. So, so this actually takes place in the 1940s and a little fun fact, 1940 population of Rockland, Maine is much higher than today. Really? A decent amount. Yeah. Actually, actually. That actually makes sense to me now that I think about it. Tell me about it. Well, historically, just kind of Rockland itself, it used to be part of Thomaston, Maine. Mm -hmm. uh, And as a kind of town itself, it was called East Thomaston. And when you're looking about, yeah, you can see South Thomaston around it now and all that. Before European settlement, the Abenaki called this Katalamtik, which means great landing place. Obviously, due to its location, it's uh, that makes yeah that makes sense because it's a port. Area. Yeah, it's a port area, low lying, west in the Penobscot Bay, and it's got the Owl's Head Light kind of protruding there, and it's like a pretty well insulated little little area for for ships. So this was like seen as a really prime area for early colonization, European colonization and settlement. Lots of lumber for shipbuilding, and then uh, eventually this town ended up becoming more of a, a hotspot for lime production. And around 1865, a historian says that this harbor with its shore-built city, canopied by daylight with terebinth smoke and illuminated by night with the brilliant fires of its innumerable lime kilns, presents a pleasing appearance from the water and seen from the heights of beyond is full of na- uh, magnificence and beauty. And then he says, second only to far-famed Bay of Naples, which I'm assuming he's not talking about Naples, Florida. No, I assume that he's they're talking about Naples, Maine, which is more that's closer to like cuz we've been we've taken you to Casco. Yes. It's just past Casco. Okay, cool. I also like that he throws in there. It's very pleasing to see from the water or a safe distance <laughs> away. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you don't want to be walking around these 
thousands of lime kilns. No. Uh, but, you know, yeah. it looks so pretty from afar. Yeah, and apparently it was insanely, like, prosperous for a long time, like, 1860s to before the Great Depression. It was in a pretty, like, good area. They did a lot of shipbuilding there, lime. They also produced a railway. There was commuter service. Like, it was happening. And, yeah, it was, like... I had no idea that there was a, a commuter service. There was. There was, like, huh. um, ferries and a rail line that would take people from Portland up. or tro- And there was also a trolley service that ended up growing in Rockland. That's all gone now. I love... Yeah, I Old Orchard's the same way. I'm really sad that there are not really any of the trolley systems left. It's sad. I I think it's got to be like all related to the Great Depression because it all kind of went away by that point. Yeah. Um. So by 1940s, a lot of businesses are on the decline. That street railway system like stopped operating like 10 years before. A steamboat ferry system was also operating from Boston up to Rockland and that went away. And then there was also a big uh, supply chain railway for lime that would go to the rest of the coast, basically. Today, uh, Rockland's, I guess, known for the main lobster festival. Yeah. You've been there? I've not. I, I've been to Rockland. I have not been to the main lobster festival. It sounds fucking amazing. Allegra's sister and uh, our niece and brother-in-law. Wow, I'm good with words today. They all live in Rockland. His family lives in Thomaston. So they've got to experience the uh, joys of the main lobster festival. I assume that they have, because they've been up there for a number of years, or a number of years, three years, I think. They've been living up there now, so I'm sure that they have. It is something that, because the Lobster Festival and the Clam Festival are the ones that are always, like, they kind of just happen, and I'm like, I don't eat, I'm a Mainer, I don't eat seafood. I knew this was going to come out at some point. I don't eat seafood. It's a shame. (laughs) I actually forgot when I asked you, like, how have you been? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's primarily the reason why I'm usually, like, I can take it or leave it. Can you legally say this aloud, or... The cops gonna come for you after this. I think the cops might come. So if if we, I'm replaced by next week with another Mainer. <laughs> you know what happened to me. I will still refer to them as B. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to go to the Maine Lobster Festival. My only concern is like, what's the price of this? I would assume it's market price. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Just go up to the counter. It's like, all right, how much? Uh, yesterday it was like eight hundred dollars. Today you're okay, in luck six hundred. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it would ever be that bad, but I don't know. I think usually market price gets you around like thirty or forty dollars. So can, it, I think that's like it's usually ballpark range, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, if you're lucky, it'll be down in the high twenties, but <laughs> if you're lucky, if you're lucky, but I only know that because. My wife does like <laughs> seafood. <laughs> Let's get into the nitty gritty here. So our cast of characters for the day, we have Alzada Pauline Young, who is the uh, victim here that we're going to be talking about. She, and she is the daughter of Norma Phelps. Norma uh, and Pauline is the stepdaughter to John Phelps. Norma and John got married. Uh, Pauline's sister is actually... Her name being Evangeline uh, at this at the time of the murder. She's about 13 years old, and she actually was committed to the State Institute for Children with Behavioral Issues. Is so, that a spoiler? Or? That's not a spoiler, but that's just a little bit of the backstory of, like, okay. Pauline, where she's coming from. Her sister is in a mental institute, basically. Okay, so that's where we're beginning the story. Yeah, yeah. I'm just okay, kind of like got you. Little, Understood yeah. now. But Norma and John, uh, they've been married for a little bit of time here. By the time of uh, Pauline's murder, she's 16 years old. And within the span of that period, we also have uh, Rachel and Bernard, who are the two children that come out of uh, Norma and John's union here. Okay. Norma works at the almshouse uh, in town, and John works as a stonemason under Federal Relief Pro- Project, the Work Projects Administration, part of the New Deal, signed by FDR. So that's just kind of a little, uh, so he's working on infrastructure projects, bridges, uh, water breaks, kind of along Got, the coast. Gotcha. That's the main, WPA was doing a lot of those kind of water break projects during that period for uh, the coastline. The relationship between Pauline and John was really contentious. And as what was reported by neighbors and testimonies was that there was always a fight going on between 
John and Pauline. They were always at each other's throats, and one thing or another, there was just always something bubbling up. Norma would even say that, like, Pauline is sort of the main uh, antagonist, or, like, the main person that's pushing a lot of the conversation or, like, conflict. At least that's what she's saying here. She's a child. She is a child. She's 16 years old. She's a child. She's going through I, a lot of, of shit. Of course she's going to push back against her stepfather and her probably her mother, too. Because oh, yeah. guess what? She's a child and then later on a teenager. Like, that's what they do. They fight, yeah. They especially, get... yeah, especially if you come from, like... You're coming from, like, a very complicated, like, family, and also, yeah. you know, my sister's in the mental institute. There's going to be a lot of tension that's going to flare up. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm assuming at this point in time, they also are not discussing a lot of this. They're probably not discussing, this is what your sister is going through, What are what's going on with you, like, let's take you to therapy, let's get you, you know, let's go to, you know, family counseling. That doesn't really happen at this point in time. <laughs> no, not at all. But the... The fight that ultimately, like, leads to this, to the murder, unfortunately. About five days before Halloween, Pauline and John get in a huge argument. There's no discussion about what the argument actually is, but they just get into a huge fight with each other. Pauline decides to leave and does not return home for about five days. Okay. She just leaves the situation and is not uh, dealing with it. By that time, John's by himself and, you know, doing his work uh, along with Norma. On Halloween, the afternoon, midday actually, of Halloween, Pauline finally returns to John and the house. And she wants to go out for the Halloween festivities that are happening that day. They get in a huge fight immediately. Testimony from the neighbors says that there was a lot of yelling and then a dull thud. What happened within this moment was that John had struck Pauline with a hammer to the head. Meanwhile, John's other children are playing outside. Within the span of time that this is happening, John realizes that Pauline is dead and drags her to the basement and then dismembers her body. Holy fuck! With an axe and a knife. Holy fuck, Jackson. I did not prepare you for this. No. What the fuck? This is bad. No, did that I? Just, that just went from zero to a hundred. Yeah. It's, I don't, that, wow, okay. Yeah, an argument, and then, okay, like, he just goes for straight killing Pauline. He must have been, like, sitting on this argument for days. Just, like, completely on, I'm gonna say it's beyond himself. that. Something was wrong with him. Yeah. Because also, the first part that got me, because obviously this is not a visual medium, you could not see the fact that my mouth was agape through the whole, he hit her with a hammer. Because that's totally normal. Yeah, That's very normal. He tries to. That's exact, that's, it's so, yep, spanking, uh, time out, put him in the corner, hit him with a hammer. (laughs) Great. He he says initially, when this all surfaces, this is going to get worse, by the way. Fucking awesome. Okay. <laughs> but he does say, event, he does get caught, obviously. That's why we're talking to him. As yep. During some testimony, he actually says that Pauline came at him with a knife and was trying to stab him. And then he retaliated with a hammer in self-defense. You know, everybody, you know what? On. Everybody that retaliates in self-defense drags the person down to the basement and, and then dismembers, dismembers their body. That's the second part that then my jaw hit the floor completely (laughs) because it's like, okay, that is not a normal thing that innocent people do. No, clearly not. He's (laughs) clearly in the wrong. And of course, his testimony is not lining up with what the neighbors heard. And keep in mind, they live in a duplex. Oh my God. If you're you I, li- I lived walls. in a duplex. Yeah. I lived as a du- in, a, in as a duplex. I lived as a duplex. For I a am the period. duplex. <laughs> I've got two families paying down their rent in here. <laughs> but I grew up in a duplex for a, a while. Like we, I from when like I was in like the second grade to the fifth grade, and. You can hear stuff. Like, you hear that, everything. You hear everything. Especially since they had kids and we had kids. We're talking about in, old, in the house. an old style duplex, Victorian era duplex. There's and no I mean, I've seen the houses in 
Rockland. They're old. Yeah, they're old. <laughs> they're really old. So, no. <laughs> Good luck hiding from your neighbors. Oh my god, this fucker. Okay, go ahead. Let's keep it going. <laughs> yeah, let's do Oh my god. Roll this one out. So, okay, we're back to uh, Pauline being dismembered by John with an axe and knife. I'm sorry. Just I'm just like, what the time. fuck, man? <laughs> I know. No, I just... Again, it's just that whole thing where it's like, oh, no, yeah, this is this is totally a normal, logical jump. It's, woof, okay, go ahead, friend. Clearly, clearly, John's got something else going on with him. And unfortunately, no information that I was able to kind of dig through was able to give me much testimony there. Tried also, to now I'm just sort of sitting here and I'm like, Norma, you're you're telling me that your daughter started it when your husband dismembered your daughter. Okay, so like a, she's saying that like Norma's saying at this time, Norma's not aware of what happens here with John, but like well, she's yeah, saying, yeah. she's trying to take her husband's side for whatever reason here. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Norma comes around, I uh, you know, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> okay, good. I know, I... I was making the assumption that... That anyways, she was going along with it. Yup, because no. there are some people who do. But you may continue. Right. So what ends up happening is that John takes six burlap sacks, fills them with Pauline's body parts, and then proceeds to dig holes around his backyard, hiding them. Hiding these individual sacks. Just in the backyard. He even digs under a chicken coop that was on the property. And the chicken coop returns. And the chicken coop returns. Full circle, baby. <laughs> he had two sailors uh, squatting in there at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Did he really? No. <laughs> Just the uh, average chicken coop. Oh, I see what you're saying. Here. I see what you're saying. You're being facetious. I'm being facetious. <laughs> So that's testimony from John. He went ahead and hid these uh, body parts all over the yard. Time goes on. The day of Halloween, actually, though, Norma does contact the police and say, uh, a passing sheriff, and asks him, hey, if you see Pauline, could you, like, bring her home? I'm getting worried. I have no idea where she is. Did we ever find out where she went? She went to a friend's house. Okay. Yeah. She just went to go crash with a friend. Pretty standard. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, Pretty standard stuff. It's a... Even though it was like around almost eight, uh, 9,000 people around this time, you know, it's still small it's enough. It's a small enough town, people are yes. Around. Norma asks the police, like, please bring her home. I have no idea where she is. She even, like, after some time said, it's almost as if the earth has swallowed her up. Pretty, pretty good guess, Norma. Oh, Norma. Oh, Norma. You have, you're going to regret saying that. Regretty spaghetti. About nine days after the murder... Phelps is seen wandering the streets in the middle of the night, and around 2 a.m. he comes wandering inside of the police station covered in blood and somewhat delirious and stating that he is ready to confess to his stepdaughter's murder. He was admitted to the hospital with slashes along his wrist and evidence of self-poisoning. So he's, he's trying to take his own life. He's racked with guilt, I guess, or feeling as if, like, He's not escaping from anything. I, I don't know what his motivations are, but yeah, I'd say guilt is probably the big thing here. But uh, neighbors even reported, like, leading up to all this, that he was acting wildly. He even asked his neighbor if they had noticed a awful smell coming from their veranda. Very weird question. <laughs> I forgot to talk about this also. The police did come around yeah. before this. And they were asking questions, trying to figure out where Pauline is, because now people are getting anxious of where she might be. And John even apparently asks if they need a shovel or pickaxe for their search. They don't think anything of that. They don't follow up on that shit. It's like, what a weird comment. Okay, no, we don't need that. (laughs) Why would we need that? The little hamster wheel in my brain is just like, (laughs) <laughs> running, running, running. I'm just it trying seems... to make sense. It... He really, really was not trying to hide. He what? He seems like he wanted somebody to find, find out. it. Yeah. He didn't want to outright say it, but he's dropping these hints. He And he's like going crazy over this. 
leading up to this moment where he's very trying telltale to heart. Himself. I didn't read that. What? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he murders the guy, buries him under the floorboards, and he hears the beating of the heart. And so then he's like, here is what I have done. He's just confessing to it. He confesses to it because he hears the beating of the heart, but no one else hears it. So he ends up confessing. Wow, you have never read The Telltale Heart. I read Cask of Amontillado, and that's kind of it. I mean, I read that one in school too, but also usually it's, okay, interesting. Not Mark Twain for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> After uh, the confession, Phelps goes, um, p- police were able to identify where the burlap bags are. He admitted to cutting her up, putting her in the bags, and he showed them the locations of where each of the bags would be. They were able to find it, but they were not able to find the head. The head is nowhere to be found. John later takes the police down to uh, the wharfs, kind of on the southern wharfs, and says that he threw the head with some weights into the Atlantic Ocean over this cliff. Okay, I was going to ask, because the way you you said it, it was like, he brought them to where the head was, and the head was missing. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it got up and walked away? No, no. Okay, I understand that. Like, the head probably got washed away. There was some... Uh, One of the sheriffs says that he doesn't believe that at all, that... For some reason, he thinks that John Kelp kept the head somewhere and wasn't telling anybody. Like but a trophy? I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem like it's not that's really substantiated in, It's not all. really in line with the rest of No, this. yeah, because he wanted, like, people to find all the information. Because people who keep trophies yeah. generally don't attempt to get caught. No, no, they don't. So they can't find the head. They send a diving team to go conduct searches along this area. They rule it out to the head's washed away by now or dragged into like the deeper parts of like the unstable soil, stable ground. Mm. At the court, <laughs> at the initial arraignment uh, at the municipal court, he pleaded not guilty. And this was happening in early November. His arraignment lasted two minutes, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Diving searches were occurring and still nothing was coming up. On February 13th, 1941, Phelps does plead guilty to the murders and is receives two charges of mutil, uh, charges to murder and two charges of mutilation and disposing of a human body. Mm-hmm. He ended up serving a life sentence at the Maine State Prison, but then was released on parole three years later to an out-of-state nursing home where he died. He was released on parole to a nursing home. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> He's like, we don't want this guy around here. No. in a wheelchair or something. Don't want to change his diapers in jail. No, it's like, he's got a lot of problems here. Get him out of here. I'm sure he's... Do you know if maybe insane. he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity or something else? I was trying to find any kind of mention of that but the newspaper clippings that i was able to access did not give me that info i wanted more i wanted to find the court documents if no anything luck. but i had no luck unfortunately i did you know all of like 40 minutes of google searches that was a lot <laughs> sorry uh there's more research that goes into this but i could not find could not find those yeah. articles unfortunately you know it's and it's insane but you're saying like yeah not a logical response at all. It's now, not. Obviously guilty. The guy's racked with guilt throughout this whole situation. You see that all coming together. It's like none of it, none of it is rational. Not a single part of it. No. I find it more disturbing also, though, that the neighbors heard the arguing and then a thud, and it was quiet after that. I know that, that a lot of arguments were happening at this home but i guess i guess if you're like living with that so long it doesn't seem suspicious i mean it could have been like she left because obviously you can't argue if somebody has left no so they're thinking maybe she left again it's it is odd and also you have to consider what different communities are reporting crime is a thing so you have to take into consideration the time period and because also back then it was very much like it's a family matter you don't touch it 
Think about also how crappy these sheriffs are. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need a shovel for the search? What? <laughs> uh, a shovel? Yeah. Why no, we... no, thank you. Thank you for offering, though. Uh, I don't see we'll need that at any point. <laughs> what, do you think that the police state, the, the, the police can't afford shovels? <laughs> yeah, we got shovels, man. It's okay. Do you need my pickaxe? Come on, I'm done. I can also afford a pickaxe, thank you. That's <laughs> just funny. It's like, that didn't, like, raise any flags None. there. None at all. And then... None at all. I feel like they could have talked to the neighbors and gotten a little more information of, like... Do you recall the last, like, mm-hmm. instance of hearing or seeing Pauline at all? But no, this came up later when, like, you know, Did the kids he hear in. anything? Seems like they were playing in the yard. They weren't aware of this. How much younger were they than Pauline? At the time, Bernard is nine and Rachel is 11. I just can't believe that they didn't hear anything. If they're playing in the yard, how big is their yard? There's some photos. It's like... Not a huge yard. That's what I feel I'm like saying. You... If they're yelling yeah. so much that neighbors can hear, I mean, again, they are also children, so mm-hmm. I am not putting any responsibility on them whatsoever. No. And I, I'm just wondering if they were asked at any point by any adult, hey, what happened? Hey, what happened? Did you see Pauline? Especially since if the neighbors are like, yeah, she was here on Halloween. Mm-hmm. Why not go to the kids? Because they're like, well, obviously you were home. So now, yeah, I'm seeing this gap. They should have seen Pauline come in, but maybe the kids were playing in the backyard. Pauline came into the front, so the kids she would have probably heard didn't that. see Pauline. Yeah, they would have heard him. They would have been were, like, oh, Pauline is home. These kids were into a pretty deep game of tag, man. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging out with the chickens of the coop. Interesting. Okay. But uh, this is referred to as the Headless Halloween mm-hmm. of 1940, so I found it appropriate for Spooktober. I was trying to hope for, like, some more ghost stories or even just, like, basic, oh, I saw a floating head over here. I don't have any of those fun stories. No. I'm just super bummed out about it. This seems prime for ghosts. It really does. Yeah. I'm very surprised that there's not, like, a... And now we see Pauline walking, looking for her head. Yeah, none of the weird little blogs that I looked at had, had anything, anything like to do that. with that. No, no, no ghostly tellings of Yeah, because I had initially seen this in... Oh, Strange Maine. That's easy. I'm stupid. But yeah. it's in Strange Maine. And yeah. so I held off reading that section because you were like, that sounds great. <laughs> I was like, this sounds like fun. It's not. It's not fun <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Murder is not fun. <laughs> yeah. Murdering your teenage daughter is even less fun. Nah, yeah, apparently. So Norma came around, obviously, and was like, you fucking kill my daughter. Yeah, and I think the follow-up was like, yeah, no, she goes off and raises the kids by herself and is Good like shocked by yeah. this whole situation. Yep. I, whew, And actually, just... um, little interesting news, but you know, one of the kids, Bernard, actually died recently. Okay. Yeah, well, like recently, like 2010. Yeah, that's still, I mean, yeah. it's recent enough. Recent enough, but I just thought that was pretty interesting, just kind of like, oh, there's this lineage. Because I looked, I saw that, uh, I saw their name tied into it, and I was like, Oh, yeah, that is John's son right there. Yep. It's like, that is amazing. But yeah, 1940s, that really wasn't that long ago. No, that's the thing is, we very, it's, it's sometimes, it's like we said before, but in different contexts, it's a world away. Yeah. But Rock no, <laughs> I mean, in t- like, as far as time right, goes, right, yeah. where it's like, oh, the 1940s, black and white. Mm. No, it really wasn't that long ago at all. It really wasn't. We advanced really quickly. Yeah. Like, it wasn't really that long ago. And there are still people that are alive <laughs> that were born then or mm-hmm. were children then. It really is not that long ago. Absolutely. Well... Now I think it's time. Oh, I still have... I'm, like, not finished processing... You're not process- ready to okay, okay, Oh, I'm not finished processing about this fucker. All right. I just... I just... I am struggling to just... Again, it's just so crazy to me that it's just like, nope, this is reasonable. <laughs> even in the... Even if it was self-defense, it is not reasonable. No, it's a 16-year-old girl. He's a stonemason. 
Like, even if she was coming at him with a knife, you don't fucking bash your stepdaughter He's an adult in the man. Yeah. It would have been easy enough to just... If she's coming at you... People act like knives are, like, the ultimate weapon. <laughs> They're just scary. I wouldn't want to be. No, I wouldn't want to be either, <laughs> but it's not like you can't survive a stab wound right. from a 16-year-old girl. Yeah, you're probably going to be okay. And then she gets in trouble. Well, that's the thing. It's just like, she's got everything against her. She is the stepdaughter. She's, like, being listed, I think, as the black sheep of the family, even by her mother, her biological mother in this because, situation. Yeah, because also the only other child from that previous marriage is in, the in an institution. institution. Yeah. And, no, she's got a lot of things going against her uh, growing up in Rockland, Maine, among the... Lime kilns. Yeah, I feel really bad for her, Pauline. That fucking... Su- it just... We've said it before, like, we've said it, in, but, like, talk about not being set up at all for success. And then to just have everything taken from you by and that asshole that sort of was causing you this pain. Yeah. No, there's no justice here, obviously, for Pauline. There isn't any for these victims, but... I mean, yeah, he was... Yeah. I I don't care that he felt guilty. He can fucking suck it. Yeah, he... (laughs) And he did. And he did! (laughs) Lighten things up with a game, I guess. (laughs) Do you want to play a game? (laughs) I do, Jigsaw, I do. (laughs) I've got a fun game for us today, and maybe this could, maybe games could be a regular thing. For, I love to, games, To yes. make things a little lighter, as light as we can get. Considering that this is a story of like a headless, a headless Halloween, I wanted to make this game called Getting Head. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the premise of the game here, I'm going to have a series of clues that uh, is going to lead you to possibly identifying a famous movie beheading or mutilation uh, from film. So I'm so excited. A lot, lot of classics on here, and I think it'll be really fun. Okay. It's gonna get. It's gonna progress from a <laughs> kind of easy to a little bit harder. There's, I think, a kind of easy one in the middle there. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I'm looking at this list. I think you'll get get most of these. But anyway, my first uh, my first clue for you. For the first film. Well, my only clue for you for this one. <laughs> so you have two lifelines, okay? Okay. And uh, you can ask me if you want those. But what George Romero film from 1985 shows a private Torres being ripped apart Dawn of by the Dead. Close. Dawn of the Dead? Is it? Is it not Dawn of the Dead? It's Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead. I count it. That's a point. Okay. Boom. <laughs> George Romero, you got that. That yeah. was obvious. <laughs> yes. I think Dawn of the Dead was like the second one. Is it? Day of the Dead was the second one. Uh, Dawn of the Dead is the first one from 1978. Okay, but you're... Yeah. T- yep, okay. So I still was wrong, but you're technically... You're giving it you're, to me on a good. technicality. I'm giving it to you on a technicality. You got the of the dead part. <laughs> most of the title. <laughs> okay, second one. We got a famous film here. And this features, I think, the first on-screen decapitation. Oh, fuck. Okay. Okay. B. Kakashi. What 1976 film directed by Richard Donner features a character played by David Warner being decapitated by a sheet of glass falling from the back of a construction The Omen! She's got it. Yes. Another one on the board. <laughs> I knew you'd be good at this. I knew you'd be good at this. Oh, uh, yeah. Because the, the thing about that is also someone that was involved with the movie was also decapitated in a very similar way. Yeah, yeah. That they want to call back on that. <laughs> Classic decapitations. All right. No, I mean, like, in real life. In real life? Yes. Someone That's that was involved was the with, with the movie was decapitated after the movie oh, was shit. filmed. You're right. I remember that. 
Yes. Oh my god. There's all sorts of weird stuff happening with the production of that. Yeah, it's very similar to Poltergeist. It's on the list of like cursed films. Anyway, what's next? I can't read and listen. (laughs) Unfortunately. Okay. (laughs) This one I think you're going to get. It's going to be pretty. I think this is going to be obvious. I'll be shocked if you don't get this. Yep. It's not really a decapitation or a mutilation also. Okay. So, what 2001 film directed by Chris Columbus features a nearly headless cast member played by John Cleese? It's nearly headless Nick and Harry Potter. <laughs> and Her- Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. You got three out of five here. Now you're basically one already, so you can just cruise if you want. Woo! <laughs> I almost said the title. <laughs> <laughs> you're very good at this. I'm not going to give you the director. I'll just give you his initials. I'll give you his initials as a lifeline if you okay. so desire. All right. What 1989 film directed by blank shows a Hate soldier played by Tom Branch decapitated during the Breath of God trial in the Sun Temple with the riddle of said trial stating only the penitent man will pass. Lifeline. The initials of the director are SS. 1989 SS. Sun Temple, Breath of God trial. This isn't Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, is it? You could just start naming them. All of the Indiana... It's Indiana Jones, It's though? one of them, yeah. <laughs> Do you not know the other ones? No, I'm thinking. I want to get it right the first time. It's not Raiders of the Lost Ark, is it? Raiders of the Lost Ark is the first one. 1989, this is the third. Do I not know the third one? Or am I just blanking? To be fair, it's like not everyone's favorite. But it's got Sean Connery in it, so people love that. Ooh, I'm bad at this. I'm going to give you a half point. Yeah, give me a half point. What? what why Indiana you... Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah, I don't think I ever watched the... Okay, because I, I definitely watched Lost Ark. I watched Temple of Doom. And then I also watched the young Indiana Jones movies. You did? Yeah! <laughs> I don't think I've ever watched The Last Crusade. <laughs> I like Last Crusade just fine. It ends up just kind of being like a um, father-son road trip across Ooh. Germany. <laughs> and then they tried to do the same thing with Temp- Temple of the Crystal Skull and it, or whatever. Oh, yeah, with Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, I did and not they were see like, that. I did. <laughs> I went on a date with my eighth grade boyfriend. <laughs> already, like, set up for failure. <laughs> Kakashi. Yes. Final question. Or clue. <laughs> yes. What 2010 revenge film directed by Ethan Maniquist, sorry if I got that wrong, and Robert Rodriguez features our hero performing multiple decapitations with a machete. 2010? 2010. Ethan Maniquist, director, and Robert Rodriguez. I can give you a lifeline. I yeah. would like a lifeline on that one. Okay. Leading actor is Danny Trejo. It's a pretty big one. It's a pretty <laughs> big toss I just gave you. You don't ace this. Oh, God. I'd be very upset. <laughs> is it Machete? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> it's Machete. I gave it to you in the clue. <laughs> uh, that's why I was like, I feel like that's wrong. <laughs> There's Machete and the Machete Kills, and I think there's another one. Yes, there is. I don't... It, more recent, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching some clips from Machete, though, and, like, he... It's so fucking stupid. <laughs> I love it. Like, he does a spin attack where mm-hmm. he's, like, cuts off three people's heads, like, in one swing. Like, I think when he gets first gets the Machete, he cuts off a dude's hand. Yeah. And, like... And the guy has a gun, he fires the gun once and like, throws it away and continues with the machete. <laughs> <laughs> Do you realize that the Machete series and Spy Kids are in the same universe? Oh my god, you're right. They are. Oh my god. Yeah. Because Sandra- Robert like, Rodriguez yeah. directed Spy Kids and Danny Trejo is their uncle, who is Machete. Machete. <laughs> So, in case you guys didn't know. I love that. I would love to see a Spy Kids movie that has the same level of violence as Machete. (laughs) 
I always say Carmen cut some dude's head off. <laughs> I mean, and she's done horror movies. Alexa Vega has done horror movies. She could totally do it. Oh, hell yeah. Okay, anyway. so I got four and a half points. You got four and a half points. B, Kakashi, you are our winner today for Yay. getting head. <laughs> I got some head. You got all the heads. Which is also, I think I mentioned to you, I also have a deep, I have a deep irrational fear of beheading. Yes, And being do. beheaded. <laughs> so this episode is right up your alley. Yeah, it's great. It explains the insane amount of tension in your shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> Let's relieve some of that. Okay, we'll take, I got a masseuse appointment for you after this. We'll get you sorted. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Need it. I need it. Enough fun and games though. It's time for a mainism. Hey, hey, it's a mainism. All right, what do you have? I got something that I did a little research on myself, but it was actually something we talked about. I've been doing a pretty long commute to my job, um, which is fine. I've been enjoying the ride because I get to go on some lovely little back roads. I've been seeing the leaves change. One thing I found very interesting, though, across all the little towns that I've been going past mm-hmm. i've noticed signs in front of like uh like club lodges and churches that are advertising like monthly bean suppers and i'm like what the fuck is a bean supper we, you did tell me about this and i didn't realize that it was a main only thing i didn't either i just assumed it was like this has to be like more of a new england thing i'm sure it's like a new hampshire but I don't remember it in Connecticut at all. I think all. Allegra looked it up and it just said Maine Bean Supper. <laughs> and that's what I looked up too. It's also <laughs> said Maine Bean Supper. I think we were looking at the same article. But yeah, apparently it's a tradition that's been like around for hundreds of years since the pilgrims. All it is really is that the, the, the freaking pilgrims all get together and they have whatever measly portions they have available. They make baked beans mm-hmm. and brown bread the night before the Sabbath, so that they don't have to work or cook on on the Sabbath itself. So I didn't realize that that was the reason for it. Yeah, apparently they all get together, make a big meal. And then yeah, because I just assumed it was, it. it was like, it's basically like a potluck where yeah. y'all go and you sit in the basement of the church and you talk shit and <laughs> eat some food that you didn't have to prepare necessarily. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like the baked beans and brown bread, so everything that's just easy to preserve available to us is like, yeah, this is all cooked up and mm-hmm. just chow down on the next day. I think it's pretty innovative if, like, your whole culture has to rely on, like, I'm just not going to work on a specific I day. I going to say if your whole culture revolves around baked beans. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're pilgrims, you know, practically. <laughs> what they had available beans is probably the only reason they didn't starve to death you're right <laughs> beans and brown bread so apparently bean supper is a thing i'm guessing it's more reserved to rural ca- uh, communities it is yeah i asked well, somebody else about that she was like i have no idea what you're talking about and oh like, really yeah no, another manor another uh from colorado technically yeah. That has lived here for a while. What's up, Michelle? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, she, I think she's been here for a bit. Yeah, good bit. But yeah, she hasn't heard of the, the bean supper thing either. Which, and I yeah. mean, I, did, I grew up in a rural area. Yeah, so you like saw that and didn't think yeah. much of it. Because yeah. we like brought it up and you were like, oh yeah, that's a thing. And I'm like, I've never heard of this. Yeah, for me, it's, to- <laughs> it's totally... It's a thing. Yeah, so you go down uh, every I mean, Saturday. I've never been. I've never been, but yeah. I mean, I grew up. I grew up in a Catholic family, so. Bean supper sounds quite unappealing today. <laughs> it's like we're gonna go down to the church and eat beans. But there were always advertisements for like. I always assumed it was more for people who may not have necessarily had the ability to cook for themselves. Yeah. And it was, I always assumed that it was a little bit of a sort of chair, not charity, but like it was more like for the people who didn't have the ability because they were too old or something like that. And it was also a way for them to get together and actually like talk to people. Mm-hmm. That's a nice little communal thing. I yeah. can see the benefit of it, especially like 
assuming that it's kind of all over, it feels like almost all these communities have some club lodge. Yeah, and I guess I feel that, like, I maybe I always felt that way because at least out here, it always seemed to me that most of the people in the parish of the churches that I went to were generally on the older side. Yeah. <laughs> generally. And I mean, you kind of do see that there are not as many young Catholics that go to church. No, there are not. I would say that's pretty uh, pretty clear throughout most uh, organized religion right yeah. now. Yeah. So that's why people. I think for me growing up, it was always like, no, this is an elderly, not elderly, but this is an older person's thing. It's like going to bingo. You go to bake bean supper. Ugh. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're like, it does not sound appealing in any Just way like, or form. Neighbors, beans, I'm out. <laughs> Are you out on the beans or out on the people? I'm out what on... What sends you out first? The people send me out first and then... <laughs> In a room with my neighbors eating a bunch of beans. It sounds like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> beans is something you eat alone. God damn it. Eat your beans alone, listeners. That's what we'll leave with you Or with, with someone who loves you very much. <laughs> someone loves you very, very much, yes. Lot, yeah, what, I had a... I had beans recently, and I had gas for like five. Oh, that was minutes. when you went camping. That's when I went camping. <laughs> and it fucked you over. I wanted to die. I was like, <laughs> I was like, do I need to go to the hospital? I feel like I'm being stabbed. <laughs> so yes, eat beans alone, or with someone that loves you very much to make sure that you're not actually dying when you have gas. Yeah, when eventually you, you know, the chickens come home to roost on your like fourth plate of baked beans. <laughs> <laughs> you will you will need someone to tell you that you're not dying thank you for this very uh for listening to this mature episode <laughs> Bye. Bye. hey listeners thanks for listening to today's episode here are my sources i've got strange main true tales from the pine tree state by michelle solier i've got strangemain.blogspot.com MiamiGhostChronicles.com, Newspapers.com, yep, that's the name, the Wikipedia page for Rockland, Maine, and RocklandMaine.gov. Thanks for listening. You can reach out to us on our Twitter at HGHPod or on our Instagram at HomegrownHorrorPod. We hope to see you again soon.